Hi everyone, Guru Voodoo comes early this month, and I hope this episode will be helpful to you if you're planning any big get-togethers over the holidays. In the meantime, we'll be taking a couple of weeks off and working on some changes to the format for Season 3. We'll see you in 2015. Welcome back to the Snakes Cast, everyone. My name is Jonathan Moriarty. Joining me this week for Guru Voodoo, our head guru, Steve Tassie. Hello. And Mr. Aaron Zack. Hello. So today we're going to talk about how to deal with large groups, big groups of a dozen people or more. Yes, I heard that. So it's challenging, no question. Do you guys um, have ever have to deal with large groups of players when you're, like, I guess, away from work contexts, like at family gatherings or anything like that? Not as often, but certainly it does happen. My family that actually is close and gets together is about nine people aged nine to 70-something. So that... Very disparate group. Yes, it is quite a disparate group, and uh, it's challenging. It's All right. challenging. So we'll talk about how that uh, informs your guru mm. voodoo later on. How about you, Aaron? Oh, large groups uh no but in all is, is it because you hate your family i, I just hate everyone in the world no uh, have uh, you met his family pretty wild pretty wild people uh no but well I, I do i mean my family i come from a large family and my mother's best friend all her children are the same age as us we all grew up together so you can imagine like 10 kids running around screaming dirty biting loud that was my childhood and now i still see them as when i was all adults just as bad they're still biting just as much but um but no seriously uh i i find it just it's like as, as steve was talking about his group is disparate because they're different ages my group is just because they have different disparate because they have different interests um i find it very hard to bring everyone together to find a game that can keep everyone's attention and kind of entertain everybody, keep everybody happy and be that large to fit everybody in the game. That's one of the hardest things about with large groups. Every new person you add to the group is another taste, another perspective that you have to satisfy with the same game that already satisfied everybody else. Uh, there's also just not as many games for groups True. that large. It's, uh, it's hard to keep a big group focused. I mean, you have all the biting and running and so on. Uh, you, you need the game to be really simple. And you need to be really action-packed to keep people engaged. And uh, if you have a large group that are all sitting at the same table, because presumably you are playing at a table, it could be hard to hear each other. So From one end to the other, absolutely. There are whole swaths of games, whole categories of games that just do not work under that circumstance. You know, strategy games, forget it. Mm -hmm. That's not going to happen. Uh, almost all kids' games are for up to two to four players. Yeah. So forget that. Um, word games, I don't think you're going to play Scrabble with that many. That's not happening. Abstract games, nope. So quest, the question of what's left well, and how we're going to entertain a group we'll this size, deep end is what we're huge talk groups, about. more than a dozen players. <laughs> not a lot of options here unless you're willing to play a party game in teams. Yeah. So you got your Cranium, you got your Pictionary, you got your Taboo, uh, 25 words or less. Most times up is great for teams. That's true. Yeah, times up has to be played in pairs. So as long as you have an even number of players, you're good there. Yeah. Uh, there's trivia in teams. Yeah, you've got Quizniac. Yeah, pretty much any trivia game, yeah. really. You play, it's, it's, and that way you can sort of participate. But all also, five second rule all, all uh, doesn't even need yeah. teams. Geek out. Geek out gets pretty wild pop over culture. 12, though, because you see some wild, wild numbers going out there. <laughs> Scott once went 125 robots. <laughs> He wasn't going to go that high, and then he realized that Transformers are all robots. Geek Out, ladies and gentlemen, is a game in which you get given a geek category like Star Trek characters or robots or whatever, and you, there's an auction. I can name five of those. I can name six of those. And apparently our friend Scott, who you will all recall from previous episodes of the next guest, went up to 125 on robots because Scott is crazy. <laughs> 
We've also got uh, a few more traditional sort of gamer type games that'll work there. Werewolf, of course. Yeah. Classic for that, uh, which you may know as Mafia. There's also Masquerade, which I love. It's a beautiful, yeah, no, beautiful art. Oh That's my uh, a Bruno Fight Duty? It is. Yeah. It's it's gloriously chaotic. It's, yeah. uh, oh, my, it's chaotic. I, the first time I played that game was in a bar, and that was the worst mistake of my life. <laughs> well, one of them. The worst, yeah. There's, there's been many. Um, but no, that, that is a fantastic game. It I works out okay as long as everybody already knows how to play it. Even if people have had a few, I think, Masquerade can still work as long as you don't have to teach it. Uh, the t- the init- getting over that initial hump takes about five minutes of solid concentration. And if you can't muster that, then forget yeah, it. Yeah, it's a great game. It's not one that I recommend at the cafe a lot for exactly that reason. It is, it's a tough teach. Once they get over that, though, yeah. they're good for hours. Yeah. So there's one other that I have to mention here. A little something that uh, the Kickstarters haven't quite delivered for this one yet, but you can get a print-and-play version. It's two rooms and a boom. Have you guys heard of this thing? Yes, I have. I yes. want to play it. It's for the benefit of our friends at home. What we do is we divide the group into two rooms, and everybody in each room gets a card. Your card tells you whether they're on the blue team or the red team. One of the blue team people is the president. One of the red team people is the bomber. You can see your card. You can see what team you're on. Nobody else gets to see that. We have two rooms, two separate people. People in each room are going to elect a leader, and they have a certain amount of time to do this, like five minutes. Once they've elected their leader, the leader will pick a certain number of people, like two, to send as hostages over to the other room. And then round two happens. You now have three minutes to pick your leader. Leader's going to pick two people to send to the other room. The hostages are exchanged. You have one minute to pick a leader. And while this is all going on, the players are talking to each other about which team they're on. You can show like a corner of your card so you can see which team you're on, but nothing else. And what happens is at the end, after three rounds, if the bomber is in the same room as the president, the president dies and the blue team loses, the red team wins. If they're in two separate rooms, the bomb goes off, the president lives, and the blue team wins. <laughs> and then it comes like umpty zillion different special roles which you could either use or not use so that it's just like werewolf absolutely so it starts out simple and then it can just get crazy as people get familiar with it so i cannot wait to get my hands on a copy of that one that when that one finally becomes available at retail that's going to be the big group game for snakes so all right let's make it a little bit easier on ourselves now let's take it down to 10 players does it get any easier there yeah it does the, that opens the door a bit. There are. It closes the door on Werewolf. Can't really play Werewolf with that. Uh, it's kind. Of, it's kind of iffy. I'd, I'd say at least twelve is kind of the minimum for that one. You, um, officially, the minimum is like six or something. But Actually, it's, it's eight. I think. Yeah, it's, but it's not it depends good which edition you get. That low. No. Uh, but it's you can still do it at ten. I've seen it done. It does open the door to the Resistance, though. Everybody's yes. favorite oh, uh, alternative oh to Werewolf or Resistance Avalon as Even well. Even better. Even better. Um, uh, Panic on Wall Street uh, will play up to 11 people. Have you played Panic on Wall Street yet, Aaron? I haven't had a chance. I, the artwork blows me away. I love it. Uh, and that's how I judge things, by how they look. So, I love that the cover is clearly just the designers and their friends dressed up in like tw- 1920s clothes freaking out. Oh, it's great. It is a fantastic stock market-ish uh, game where there are two sides. There are the investors who are buying stock in companies, trying to make money off that. And then there are the managers who are the ones who are actually doing the selling. Uh, and so they want to get as much money as they can for the companies that they own. Um, and here's, they, the, here's they, the real twist, though. They have to pay some money every round right. for each company that they own. So they've got to make some money every round. Otherwise, they're screwed. But the thing that's neat about the game is that yes, there are two winners. So uh, each side has a winner. The 
investor who makes the most money wins and the manager who makes the most money wins. So the managers aren't competing against the investors. They're competing against the other managers. The investors yeah. aren't competing against yeah. the managers so at all. Team, They're not trying to screw the managers. You're They're on a team, to- but you hate everyone else on your team. You are literally fighting against your team and trying to get the other team interested in what you have to offer. Uh, and it's... Uh, so it's, it's a Monday. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic game. And the stocks, the cool thing about the stocks is they come in different colors. Each color has a different level of volatility. Uh, so if you buy the really safe stocks, you're not going to lose money, but you also don't stand to make as much as you could with one of the more volatile ones, where the really heavily volatile ones, you could make Tons of money, but you also risk actually just lose your shirt. losing money on the deal and having to. I just paid for this stock, and now I have to pay for it again because it went down in value. Uh, fantastic game. Get it if you uh, ever see it, and try it if you're ever uh, at the cafe with a big group. Definitely. It's it's a tricky one to get to convince people to try because it sounds mm-hmm. so involved. But every single time I've gotten people to come with me. Over that, uh, over that threshold. Play one round. It's and, been a smash. And people get hooked. So, okay. And then there's six nymphed. That's, you know, that's basically what Europeans play instead of Uno. Yeah. That'll I'll, go up to ten players. I have played it with ten. Didn't find it great with ten. A, really? lot of, a lot of the people playing got kind of bored and weren't really following the, what happens if I play this card on this row? Uh, now, the alcohol involved may have been part of that problem, but... I suspect it might be. I have played Six Nymph with much smaller groups of people, and it's been far more fun than with Ten. Hmm. You can do it. In my personal experience, not one that I would recommend. All right, something to keep in mind. Okay, now let's go much easier on ourselves. Let's bring it down to eight players. <laughs> well, then you're basically opening up a whole world of games. We now actually get into strategy games are viable at eight people, um, Certainly, some of them. Uh, Robo Rally, you can play with eight. Again, not sure. I can't I'd imagine a game it. of an eight-player game of Robo Rally not ending in somebody getting their face pushed through the table. <laughs> as long as everyone's in swivel chairs, I think it's okay. <laughs> I find that game is so much easier and so much less stressful to play if I'm in a swivel chair because I can turn and go. If you're right. ever at so a game convention and you see people turning left and right in their chairs a lot, they're playing Robo Rally. <laughs> But, but, there's, but what I love about it is that when you get down to eight, there's actually, you know, more meat. There's actually depth to the game. You know, you can play, you can play your parties. I mean, and your parties get great. You know, Cash and Guns, amazing game. I, who doesn't like shooting their friends in the face? <laughs> I love Pulp Fiction. Um, and then you can get into things, you know, like Shadowhunters, which I love. Yes, you know? great secret identity game. Uh, Bang the Dice game plays with eight. There's even a fair number of party games that max out at eight players, like Say Anything, for example. Yep. Uh, regular Telestrations is only yep. for eight, but if you do have the party edition, it can do 12. Uh, uh, Saboteur plays nine. That's another secret identity game. Neat one in that your identity changes from round to round. You play three rounds to determine the overall winner, um, but you get a different loyalty card each round, so you are unlikely to be on the same side the entire game. Uh, Incan Gold becomes absolutely hilarious with eight players. That's a press-your-luck game. It's basically a game of chicken. Everybody has to decide whether they're going to stay and try and get more treasure or leave, and everybody makes this choice simultaneously and secretly, and you don't know who else chickened out until you've already made your choice. And when there's eight people, at first there's so little treasure going, you have to split it eight ways, but as people start bugging out... The rewards go up and up, and the risk of getting nothing goes up and up. 
It's crazy. You know, I played that game for the first time with Scott and a bunch of people. And I say Scott because he got his he lost his shirt in that game. <laughs> we played and I played so conservatively. And that's not a pretty sight. No, no, no. <laughs> if you ever Sorry, we Scott. love you, Scott. <laughs> okay, elephant in the room time. Is it better to just split big groups into small groups? Depends on the group. It really depends on the group because there there are two factors that I find that make a group want to be playing all together. Number one uh, is what kind of games are they used to, right? If you've got uh, you know a group of people coming in from the bank for a corporate event, it's it's a special <laughs> lunchtime Friday. They're having some fun as a as a nice little bonus from the company. These are a bunch of people who probably aren't serious gamers they're not the enthusiasts there's maybe one who is and there's maybe three more who have heard of settlers of Catan, but the rest of them are people for whom scrabble and trivial pursuit and maybe pictionary Ooh, that's exotic um are the games that they know and so these people they're not the ones who you're going to want to... Okay, so you five, you're going to play Puerto Rico. And you three, you're going to play Agricola. Uh, no, these are those are not those people. Cards against humanity for everyone. Yeah. The, the other factor is there are groups of people, regardless of their personal taste in games and exposure to games, there are groups of people who come out together and they are expecting to play together. That's kind of how it's been at my game nights, actually. Even when we got to like seven, eight people, we've tried to keep everybody at the same table just so we can all socialize together. Yeah, and that's and that's great uh, if you can find the right game for everybody. Right. Um, with my personal uh, at-home game groups, usually I try to keep them smaller. I, I don't often, I mean, my apartment's not very big, so I don't get a lot of people coming over at once. Um, but on those rare occasions where there are lots of people, I will split it up because my dining room table is only so big. My coffee table is only so big. They can each take a group. So Do you think your unruly better. family would work better if you uh, split oh, them so into smaller pieces? I have a very special... Biters at one table, <laughs> runners at another. You'd think, but the biters are the runners and the runners are the runners. <laughs> no, I have a very special way of dealing with kind of those kind of large groups. I mean, I'm just going to say I agree with everything Steve says. And I think if you look at places like Snakes and Loggers, you see a lot of that former group Steve was talking about. Mm. They're not necessarily working at a bank, coming in for lunch, but they're with their friends and they want to be with their friends the whole time. And they kind of got to find games that approach that. For my family, I find a game, because we have an interesting dynamic, <laughs> I find a game like time, like uh, like Timeline where I can get you know a few people who, who are going to play the game and everyone else to shout at them. That's my methodology. <laughs> before, sure. before. So, you, know, you, know, you know Jeopardy? You know Save Price? a studio audience for I the game Price, show. I have prices right in my house. That's very clever. <laughs> Do you have all the lights? <laughs> Man, not even the gurus thought of that voodoo. Mm. That's a very impressive piece of work. Thank you very much for joining us, Aaron. Thank you. And thank you for being here as well, Steve. Until next time, game on. Game on. We hope you've enjoyed this second season of the Snakes Cast. We're looking forward to entertaining you in 2015. From all of us at Snakes and Lattes... We're wishing you a happy holiday and a happy new year. Until then, this is P.T. Douglas. Game on.